Hey skiers, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Picture Skiing Podcast. On today's show, you're going to meet a man named Stephen Fearing. Stephen Fearing is a top-level mogul coach, and I mean top. He's coached Olympic gold medalists and world champions to glory, so this guy knows about moguls. Now, I wanted to make this interview particularly sort of informative and have a lot of takeaways. So before the show, I said to Stephen, hey, the, the kind of the pitch of this show is imagine you were tasked with being like head of World Moguls Association. And this year you were trying to get more people involved in moguls. And so you're speaking to people that don't really like moguls, people that love moguls, people that are maybe tentative getting into it. So I tried to gear the questions around getting information that would really inspire you, inform you on being able to make like better decisions about how you're going to approach your moguls, whether that's equipment or technique or tactics. And I think it's a really interesting approach because, I mean, you're hearing from the, uh, like a guy who knows a lot. Part of doing this podcast is I'm always thirsty to learn more about skiing stuff. And in this one, I definitely learned a few things I didn't really know or it helped me understand and clarify some things I'm working on in my own mogul skiing even further. So I really think whether you are an avid mogul skier or whether you're sort of tentative or not sure about getting into it, I think you're going to get something really good out of this episode. Stephen was joining us from the country of Georgia and he was over the road at a hotel and so sometimes the audio, the background, there might be a bit of noise and I apologize for that but I think we're just really lucky to hear from someone of his caliber. Finally, just before we jump into this episode, if you haven't yet, Big Picture Skiing is my project, it's my thing, it's it's how I try and share my instructional knowledge, my coaching knowledge, everything I learn through podcasts like this and my own tinkering and understanding of, of progressing people into better skiers. I put all that into video content along with my co-coach Sam and we successfully teach people. We're getting great results. People are really enjoying it. Just the other day, a guy who's more an intermediate level, he tested out one of the drills in the drills and exercises category and he said far out. He could not believe how much of a difference he made just working on that one drill that was explained. And by the end of the day, he said he'd never had uh, as much control as much symmetry in his uh, skis and as much sort of confidence to go into steeper terrain. So all that through just a video. So I encourage you to check it out. And just from listening to this show, I'm going to offer you a coupon code, which is PODCAST, all in capitals. If you put that in, you'll get 25% off any subscription choice you like. So if you want to find out more, head to bigpitcherskiing.com. Hopefully you'll get some results just like our friend I mentioned before. Without further ado, here is Stephen Fearing talking about moguls. If we were in this imaginary environment or the world was, they chose you as the person that was tasked with making moguls boom. More people around the world love moguls, enjoy it, find it fun. If people are going to get into moguls and this is the season they're going to try and enjoy them, would you start with technique stuff or would you start with discussing some stuff like equipment choices? Well, yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a good question because, you know, um, obviously, uh, the width of the ski is really important to feel um, that you're you're agile. You can be quick, edge to edge. Um, the wider skis, you just it takes more time to to kind of develop the transition and to the turn. 
But uh, that being said, you know, I've skied all kinds of skis through natural moguls, um, crud moguls, um, you know, piste, uh, off piece gets skied up and you, you start to get moguls developing, especially in, in uh, lift accessible off piece, like in Whistler has quite a bit. So, you know, when you have definitely the equipment can make it easier. Um, but there's, so a, let's there's do, technical things. Okay. Well, let's let's start there because you, you definitely brought up the, the narrow ski thing because today's trend is, is, is generally wider skis. Yes. So a good tip if someone was going to really make this their mobile season, go something a little narrower and, and like what sort of ski, even, even lengthwise, would you say? If they're, if they're confident, you know, they can ski – pretty well the groomers but but the moguls are like oh, they don't really choose that area what's a good ski uh, in general i would i would stick to a 180 um i know competitors are going shorter like 77 72 but i i would stay over the 180 mark um then that would you know be based on weight um you know, physical strength, you know, you could probably go a little bit longer, but I mean, 180 seems to be the most well-rounded length through what I, I've seen. Uh, the, the width of a ski, um, and as you said, it, it's just really difficult to find something in, in, the, in the waist that's less than 75. Uh, you know, you get those, those, uh, wide waist and so what happens is it just takes so long for you to get kind of from that edge flat and get it's a long transition and the, the long transition is probably where you get that you know over speed feeling because you want your transitions to be as quick as possible so that you're spending more time on the on the flex and the edge of the ski uh so you know there are some um uh, mountain skis that you, you can find thinner waist, those will just allow you, you know, they won't be as great as, as, as the, the wide base for powder skiing, but it'll be something that when it gets skied up a bit, cruddy. I've enjoyed the uh, powder in, in a narrow waist ski. Um, and as it gets skied out, you just have more opportunity to ski different ways uh, through, through different, different pitches and so it's good yeah and what about so when you're mentioning that that 180 length so say maybe we're talking about guys there uh, like what are people going to feel between a longer ski versus going shorter like what's what advantages would you feel actually having that little bit longer length when you get into the bumps um definitely for me it's a four and a half balance because uh even in a, a free ski situation you're gonna want to have a, a little bit more of a, a tip contact you know never straight down the pond but there's different places on the mobile you can have that tip contact and i i think people um on the short ski you'll find as the, the tip of the ski on a short ski gets flexed it gives a real difficult fore and aft balance situation the longer flex will just give you a smoother kind of a wider base to stay balanced not horizontally kind of front to back yeah. yeah 
Yeah, so I, that's, I know. I've, that, that's my position. Yeah, and I know I've I've felt that, and it was kind of surprising and counterintuitive first because you think taking a longer ski is going to make it more difficult, but if you have the right approach, a longer tip kind of interacts with the next mogul sooner, and can actually make you feel like you get control sooner. Yeah, yeah, it's you know. Um, you, we talked a little bit before we started the broadcast about you know trampolines and et cetera. And it's it's like the, if you get a wider, like a super tramp, the bounce and the flex is so smooth, the bigger the trampoline. And then you get the small trampolines like you, you see in the, the 70s workouts and, and they're yeah. just a little bit more, you know. Erratic off, kind off of feeling. Filter, erratic, yeah, you just get thrown around. So. That's it's a kind good of analogy. the same feeling of, of, of the ski flex. The, just the more base foundation you have, it, it gives more leeway for you to, you know, to have a, I'll call it a wider center of gravity because your base will just feel more controlled without getting pushed around erratically. Yeah. And so if you were to say, like, say for, 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 for ladies listening, like a longer ski for them is probably encourage them to go like into 170 kind of area is that is would that be yeah clear? yeah i would i would say uh 170 but i i would even say a strong skier you know they can land anyone they can stick around that uh 180 mark you know maybe not go the 180 but 170 cool etc yeah and it just feels better at high speed too you know, you, you yeah. just find more stability because you're not just going to get a ski just for mobile. So kind of broadens your your opportunity to use a ski in a multi-conditional situation. And then <clears throat> the side cut, because I remember mm-hmm. we had we had a chat uh, sort of around the COVID period, just uh, you and I, but <clears throat> I was talking to you about skiing slalom skis and more shaped skis in moguls and that definitely comes with its own challenges so would you have any kind of advice around choosing yeah the the radius and side cut in a ski yeah again there's limited choices but definitely for mogul the bend of the ski and the bend with edge combined that's where we kind of develop this, you know, the, the side cut or the shape. So if it has too much side cut, so extreme in, you know, tip and tail, if you put the ski in, it's going to get kind of an over, as the ski flexes into the face of the model, it's going to get that, that over arc. And it's just, it's really difficult to control uh, the ski to stay under you because it'll just over flex and then it'll go left and right, uh, east and west too much. So. It's yeah. uh, trying to find a ski that doesn't have a big difference. And it's, it's something that, you know, if you can stay within kind of the, the like high idea teens, that, that, high yeah. teens, you know, like an 18 meter, like, what is it? What's a perfect, what's a proper mogul ski, like your ID ones that you have, like, what are they radius wise? Well, I mean, it's funny because a lot of the European com- countries I'm going up kind of off um, this, but uh, they use a, a a junior GS ski as kind of the foundation for their ski. Um, 
So, you know, this, as you work in the slums, it has much of that, much more of that radical cut. So the junior, um, and I think they just choose the, the junior structure because of the, the length, you know, you're not going to find an adult ski. Um, but, you know, with the, the ID1, um, it, in today's, I, I would say, world of skis, and if someone's walking into a ski shop and they see an ID1 on the wall, they're not really going to see kind of the shape. You really have to look closely to kind of <laughs> see that, that mild, that mild uh, shape. But it was very important for us to have that in mind. Even it looks like a 70 straight ski. There, there is shape to it. It's just uh, less pronounced. And it's, it's easy to, you know, to use more flex of the ski to, to kind of get that radius of the ski work important. Yeah. And I should say for people that, that don't know, like what you're, you're talking there about ID1, it's you actually helped create this company, which is a mobile specific ski brand company. And so that's why it's great. You get, you're giving insight into what, you know, if, if people professionally skiing moguls and only skiing moguls are choosing a ski with certain characteristics, that's why you're also suggesting like if you're going to get a sort of an all rounder steering a little towards longer length, narrow underfoot, a little less shape, they're all going to help you now. Maybe if we, well, maybe we'll come back to boots and stuff later, but if we think about those characteristics in the ski into technique, say, because uh, I know you've talked about like, like part of control is speed control is turning, which I think every skier who's done a bit, they know you turn, you slow down. I don't think a lot of people realize that, that the absorption is, is a big factor. Uh, how much is the absorption a factor of speed control? Yeah, well, it's, you know, if well, you look at it as, you know, you're contouring. And so let's say you have a flat course of 200 meters, and then we have 200 meters of moguls. And we ran a rope along each one and we pulled the rope straight the length of the rope would be different so the idea is to use kind of that mobile contour um, to actually spend more time in in the present or in the place that you're at so as you said tom if, if you're not having the correct absorption extension time things will get out of um sync you're not following the rope the accelerator yeah you, you're going yeah, down that, that yeah okay okay yeah and so, so, I, so that you, know, you go ahead sorry no so i, I the idea is i like to take the head shoulder and the in the pelvis and you when you look at that kind of let's say that um, imaginary plane that like that flat mind plane and you lift it to the top of the top of the mobiles i'm sure my hands are out there but up to the top yeah. of the what the mobile is almost like when, body when you have a have a rope down the side of a roped off mogul run that rope yeah. line is almost like shoulder height yeah uh, no i would say i'd like to take the example of uh, the top of the mogul the crown okay the top of the mogul okay there yep so so i use that as kind of where my you know my base foundation thought and what I try to do is I will try to get my head, shoulders, 
and my pelvis never to change distance on this line because it's it's the the flat line you you take out away the trough you take away the face and the backside of the mogul so i'd never want those three points or the upper torso including the pelvis to go up and down on that line you want it to be consistent the whole way that makes sense to you yeah it's uh, yeah trying to keep that level that level of position, a lot of people will, let's say in the absorption phase, they'll drop the pelvis lower than the top of the mogul, or they'll be at the top of the mogul and they'll lift the pelvis uh, above, higher than the, the top point. So, you know, each person, you, you know, they'd like to think about different things. I use the three checkpoints, maybe not all three at the same time, but it's, it's my head level, shoulder level. Is my pelvis love? Is it staying on that, that consistent plane? Mm-hmm. And so, so with that, like that speed control thing, and I guess you trying to bring the world into like enjoying moguls more, would one of the biggest like areas people wanting to enjoy moguls need to improve be oh. absorption? Would you say that's probably the weakest skill or is there another one? What would you put that? Um, I put absorption and extension into one basket, and you can't really have one without the other. Um, I would say neutral position is where people get confused. Um, like they overabsorb or they absorb with no tension. So they kind of collapse and they end up sitting on, you know, kind of sitting in the position instead of letting the mogul and the skis kind of press and, and move the legs, you know, the quads and the hip flexors up, people just tend to drop into a low position. Um, extension, um, it's a lot, a lot of people, because they get nervous, they'll overextend, so they'll kind of create a brace and overextended position. Um, and they do it early, because the faster they do it, the more safe they feel. So in the absorb phase, you got to have tension on, I'll call it tension. Um, and of course, the alignment, making sure that the feet are under the hip, the knees are in front of the toes, and letting the mogul and the ski push your absorption upward opposed to you sinking into absorption. Because back, point, to your, back to your right. like line down the moguls, now you've just stuffed up your following not letting the pelvis drop and the, everything drop below that that line so it's a big factor people people absorb and sink their bum low in that line main main kind of issue okay cool then second factor second point so you got the, the the crown the the crown or the top because um, ruts change and so you it's it's never a, a straightforward um flat point the top depending on where you go through could be at different levels. And so if you, when you go through that crown phase, people tend to extend um, very rapidly and quickly to try to get into a braced position. And you need to just have a patient kind of, uh, like you stall yourself. You wait till your, your heel of your boot passes that high point. And then you start extending, but you don't 
extend with so much force or extend with so much aggression or, you know, it can't be like a, a quick, uh, it has to be kind of a, kind of a, like, a, a, like you're pressing, um, you know, not, not like hitting the mogul, but you're kind of pressing the mogul. And it has to be kind of in, in a gauge, you know, kind of one, two, three, four, instead of what if, everything at one time. So to be like the equivalent of like you, the movement shouldn't create, if you're off the moguls, it shouldn't create you kind of unweighting or doing almost like a slight jump. It should be like you coming up slowly out of a, out of a squat that doesn't unweight you. Right. And then I would say it, it's more like, um, an inverted squat, like the legs pressing away from you, not kind of a squat where you're kind of lifting the hip. It's more of weighing to the backside and, and pressing. So if you're in the down pressing. into like negative space. So like a leg press, uh, uh, leg press upside down. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Is there is there some kind of device you've ever used or invented for dry land training to to do that to help athletes? Uh, well, I there is a, a, an invention out there. I, I know the USD team utilizes it for their their alpine and mobile skiers. Um, you know, we'll have to put in the comments later because I had to send it to you uh, the name, but it has it. It's basically a tension. So you you stand on this apparatus, and it gives tension both ways. So it, it kind of has that effect. Um, but it's it has not direct weights, but it has a attention. Um, so, so, yeah, we can. Yeah, okay. Not n- like like almost like a you're sort of standing on a spring that has resistance in a way, and so you push down and it has a bit of resistance, but it goes down and then it pushes you back with the resistance. So yeah, so you have eccentric, eccentric. You have to control both sides. Yeah. Do you think it's effective? Like, does it give the same feeling? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I know that the Alpine team, especially the slime skiers have had success and it seems the mobile skiers are having a great year. And, um, I don't think it's a piece of equipment you can find (laughs) quite, uh, quite easily, but, um, that being said, I, I think a lot of things in combining training, you know, some people just get to the gym and they, uh, any gym will work, you know, you, you just have to make sure that when you're doing your legs day, you're just not doing, let's say a squat, you're, you're doing, you know, hack squat, squat, leg press, and kind of a cycle so that you're getting all different, you know, tensions and, and, um, flexion of the muscle and utilizing all directions and bands bands are another great thing you know we use a lot of bands especially in Canada you can probably look up and Kingsbury has like a recent video from the beginning of December where he uses the bands which is quite common in Canada using Uh. a, a lot of jump technique where you're pressing um, tension bands bands um, yeah so you get so you get resistance both both ways so it's kind of like a poor man version of what i'm describing that the usg team yeah. has <laughs> yeah training center. It, 
it does make sense though like if if the feeling of extension in the moguls is not like a squat in a way because you 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 don't want your hips to really be rising you're trying to press your feet sort of down and follow the trough it's why probably it's hard like you know we always learn by having something that we can relate to um and so why it probably takes just some practice of you know breaking it down so you know if you had uh your your army of of mogul ski instructors would you get them like as part of their progression for teaching extension to to make people like make make them teach their guests to do this slowly like really get the like work on guests getting this slower extension like stand on the top of a mogul in a flex position and then practice the time of extension over and over until they like kept the hips level yeah. with the yeah yeah, and, and we'll, a lot of times we'll we'll build we call them the rollers or the wings. Um, it's not a just for absorption; it's actually using uh, timing of the absorption, extension, and turn, kind of in a combination. It's just a lot easier in a wave because you have that that constant same direction uh, top of the mogul, opposed to a rut where it might be angled at different directions so it's hard to sometimes feel that yeah so you take away that the angle part and suddenly you can now just yeah. work more easily on, on just a straight up and down down movement it's a shame not like more resorts have those available like i guess now you're chief of like getting moguls more popular that's what you do you'd get every resort to build a public mogul tank right like approved yeah, you know, it's in in, Austri- in Austria this this uh, this October, uh, basically for six weeks in Hintertux. Uh, we've gotten a good connection with them, and and you know, we've put out you know, a public mogul lane, um, uh, kind of a, a easier, let's say, kind of sports skier lane, and then. We had kind of the fifth competition one. And that was one of the ideas. And they're all into it is trying to have us build different training venues for the public. So it, it is in the plan to do that in the future. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I know. I, I just think if you can break something down, take away, like you said, some of the trickier parts, it's, you can make a lot of progress uh, fast. Now, uh, if we went like back a step and so talked about turning, just the turning factor, what do you see as like the main mistakes people do when they turn or try and, yeah, make, make that turn shape in the moguls? Um, well, as, as recent, and I think it's like simplified in the sense that the way people look at, you know, the front of the ski, um, I, I like to break it down is you have the inside front, you have the nose, or the, the nose of the tip and the outside. And there's, especially in natural models, there's different entry points to a mogul. It doesn't always have to be in the front of the mogul, it can be inside of the mogul, low on the side of the mogul. There's, you know, thousands of variables and kind of where you enter the model, but it's the nose of the tip and where that enters. And 
again, it doesn't have to be, let's say, from the front straight into the fall line because it, you know that that's hard for a lot of people to and I have the confidence. But if even if I'm coming in and I have my turn and coming into the side of the mobile, I want that nose point really kind of stabbing or directing into where I'm entering the mobile. So I I like to use that uh, even in in coaching with competitors is, you know, they like to tend to use, they think, oh, we're, I'm using the tip, but it's the outside point of the tip. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the tip it's of the not ski, the actual. The the, the, yeah, the okay, nose. yeah, yeah. They're thinking about like the same as like a slalom ski would think the tip, that it's, it's the side cut edge part. You're actually referring to the very front, which most people never <laughs> ski on, right? But you're like, you want to encourage that part and people to think of that part of the ski where it's going into the bump. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the nose of the tip and, and practice entering all, all points of a mobile. Uh, a natural mobile, you know, can sometimes be five meters, 10 meters, 12, 20 meters in, in length. So you can enter a mobile in multiple um, points um, multi-direction and and that just gives you kind of an understanding of how the ski works and you can do it at different comfort levels because if I have a natural mole and I come in with the nose at the side it's way less intimidating than coming in to the top side front of, of the fall line with the nose of the ski. So, yeah yeah I, I, I must say after our last chat we talked uh, about like coming into a bump, these different entry points, like a low line and a high line where you are sort of entering that, that next bump. And the thing I think I realized I wasn't doing enough of or fluked sometimes was taking a high line, not always trying to avoid the high line. And the high line almost, it actually is the slower because, I mean, of course, you're extending that piece of rope that's going up and down. You, you aim for that Sorry. one, which is the scary one. Is actually the not scary line because you go slower, and the, and the one that you want to most people aim for, the low one, that's the one you start going boom, 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 really fast on. So I'm, I must say, like that was uh, that was huge, and I had some success coaching some other people, like skiing into the more intimidating part of the bump instead of the less, like where everyone else goes, and that's why there's a a rut line. Yeah, and. Um- even snow conditions. So you, you talk about that rut line, and it looks like it's less intimidating because it's smoother. But that soft, powdery snow, or even that slushy spring and summer snow, putting your tips into that is so comforting to kind of control your speed and, and catch your body position because you, you just kind of st- stay in that, that skied out line and it's. You have to rely more on, you know, being technically and timing perfect. Yes. Yeah. So then what what uh, comes to my mind is like I know pivot slips is a, like a, a place a lot of people start a progression, like say with kids even, getting into bumps. Um, comments on, on on pivot slips into bumps. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, a let's say a, an exercise. You know, it's not something that I would you know spend a 
full day on, but I would probably put it into the, um, the, the let's say the structure of progression up and exercise. Yeah, but I wouldn't spend too much time on it, and I would not. I, I probably wouldn't take a a beginner, and I'm not talking about a mobile beginner, but you know, I'd, I'd say upper intermediate that could be effective as kind of a, a, a skill. But in a lower level skier, it might just end up um, kind of taking away the, the understanding of the technical um, way of skiing. So, you know, I think you have to wait till you're upper intermediate to kind of use that, that pivot slip without this, this understanding of what the, the purpose of the exercise and the goal of what you're doing. And that's a lot of things I see with coaches and, and let's say they they know how to tell people um, what exercise and how to do it, but they have to understand it's, it's like a, you just don't prescribe it and then walk away. It's not like they're going to take that medicine and come back better. It's more of like a, a therapy, the exercise of, you know, using um, you have to pay attention to what they're doing during that exercise in detail because just because they do it 10 times is not going to get the benefit of what they need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's certain things like that you can really get out of that, but you need to be, if you're coaching, make sure you're getting the student to realize those things. Hey, feel what this drill is giving you. Like that's the element we're going to take into our free skiing after the drill. Yeah, for sure. If you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills, listen up. I've been working closely with the Carve team for over four years and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, Active Coaching Mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more, and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? Talked about absorption extension, some turning, uh, a little bit about line what about pole planning what do you think uh like how important is it for people to spend time like actually working on the pole plant part pole plants are very important um you have to understand um i i would say in the transition phase and we we talked about that before in, in the transition of going from an edge ski to the flat ski kind of the transfer, it's a, a very small, I call it a box. And, and whatever direction your turn is finished, that box is facing 
that direction. And people, you know, when <clears throat> when the when the scheme mobiles, the tendency is to plant at the wrong time. Like your plan should be in the turn before transition. And it has to be in a mobile. Um, generally, it has to be a very short transition and very quick, quick return. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it, looking at, um, you know, ski instructors or let's say sports skiers or free skiers. Um, if you see an imbalance of their pole plan so many times, it's like, are they planning at what phase of the turn is the correct point of the turn? Um, and then let's say the big mountain turn, you have a, kind of that longer, you know, shape of turn. Um, so you, everything can be longer from the initiation to the end and the transition obviously can be you know, meters long, but in the, in the mobile, you really want to keep your transitions on, I'd say in under 20, 20 to 30 centimeters. Cool. That's how quick your transition needs to be. That's how true. So in that, in that transition, just let me get this right. Well, first of all, like what purpose would you say in moguls is the pole plant uh, making? Because I know some people like maybe mistake is they rely on it so much to block them. Like maybe do you want to uh-huh. speak about a, a blocking pole plant versus like another effect or outcome of a good, like a, a, a smoother bump, bump skier? So, yeah, it would be more of someone planning at the end phase of the turn. So kind of the shape middle turn coming into the end of the turn, but plan too early. So they'll kind of block that absorption phase. So as the moment ski should be pressing up, they make kind of a down movement with the shoulder and pole plant, and they block kind of that natural absorption phase. Um, and you really want that, you know, that transition to always be on the backside or after the top of the moment. So, you know, you don't want to plant until the top because that's where the transition, the transition is. is. Yes. And that's the other thing I, uh, I, I see a lot of people do frequently at all levels of mobile. Um, they reach too much for the plant or they reach too much for the point of pole plant instead of, I like to think of it as like a cylinder of keeping your neutral position and waiting till your body gets to that point to plant instead of reaching out of that, that cylinder to get to the point. So, and e- even though uh, that's like, uh, I yeah, totally agree that like keeping this, like waiting for the whole cylinder to get to the, the transition point. But uh, it can maybe be um, deceiving when you watch really good bump skiers like sometimes and you see them, it looks like they are reaching. But would you agree when, if that's ever happening, their whole entire body, the cylinder is being pulled with the reach? Would that be a fair thing to say they're not reaching ahead or, and, and out of the cylinder? It's, it's the cylinder is almost coming with the pole plant yeah. reach look. Yeah, we could call it like projection of body or projection directed by kind of the pole plant. Because, yeah, you don't, 
even though you want to stay in that cylinder, that cylinder has to have projection into the hill. It can't be out this, you know, kind of static because eventually you're just going to fall, fall behind. So, you know, I, it's kind of a, a term that we've just developed uh, as when you leave mobile, you project your cylinder, project your neutral towards the next model and it's hard for people to you know it's not like diving into it it's it's exactly like an old school projector you know putting out the, the film onto the thing it's kind of throwing the picture from the small point and going to the big screen yeah yeah not not and just clarify you were saying it's not like you're diving which is almost like leaving your feet behind it's it's actually taking everything like a broad jump almost Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the same in 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 surfing. I've I've just taken up surfing in the last couple oh, of years yeah. recently, and 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 that's what they teach you to do to get back up the wave. They like the 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 surfers lift and project everything up the wave like like a broad jump. So I think it's in a it's, it's in a lot of sports that pro- projection thing. Um, yeah. So that's that's cool. Um, so I think what. I've realized is, is a good clarification is like the point of the transition. I think people probably place in the first place too, too far back. Like, like they're trying, cause they're all like worried about control. So they're like finishing sort of like not on top of mogul, like on the, on the face they can see. So their transition is already too like, it's not, they're not waiting long enough. So then their pole plan is too blocky too early so everything needs to be shifted later and it needs to sit on that on the on that peak part almost when you're coming to the to the back side of of the bump that transition point yeah and you know good point on how people kind of stay sitting in that trough or kind of going to that defense motion and you have to think again of that multi-direction um, you know, it's just not keeping your feet under you fore and aft. And a lot of people when they come into the mall road, let's say it's a right-footed turn, we'll call it, you know, left left turn. People yep, speak right about it different turn. ways. Yeah, yeah. No, you can do it. Uh, the skiers, the people here are skiers. They'll know right-footer. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times they'll take the, the left side of the pelvis and they'll absorb in a instead of keeping the, the hip level and absorbing with it in a, a level plane, they'll drop the inside hip lower and, and have a deeper absorption on the inside point. And that will get you inside and back as, as often as just four and a half feet position. position. Yeah, that's really so interesting I, I call too. It a soft, I call it like a soft hip. You know, it's like, you know, don't, don't let that inside hip get soft. You don't want to lift it, but you definitely don't want it to kind of melt into the inside of the, the arc of the turn. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that's, you would say that is when you get athletes coming through, that's probably one area you have to spend some time coaching and helping, helping them with a lot of people. I'm, I'm guessing it's natural to, to go soft and let that inside half of your pelvis drop. Uh, all level of skiers. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Jumping to like 
than the very best. Uh, I think I asked you last time who your favorite or who you thought was the best uh, technical, like turns and absorption, not tricks and stuff like that, that part of mogul skiing on the World Cup at the moment. Is it still the same person? I won't say who it is. Who, who's your favorite at the moment? Well, I hope it's the same. <laughs> I don't think I've changed, but it's Ikuma. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and what was what was the reason? Why do you think? Like, what do you uh, admire out out of his technique and his his style? Uh, even just watching first uh, three events, uh, December, uh, just. The, the consistency, no matter how difficult the course is and how hard the snow is, the spacing, the far apart ones or short ones, just everything we're talking about right now, he, he, he strives to do it in the right direction using the nose of, his, of the tip going into the point of the entry the timing of the jerking extension. You know, this year, actually, we were just talking about kind of that soft hip on the inside. You know, I've, you know, I've seen he has a, a few incidents where he's a little bit softer in that inside hip um, than in years past. But, you know, that's, he's, for me, when you're in the high-level competition, even if you're watching World Cup Alpine skier and Solomon, um, adaptation at that level, it's so important, but at the same time, we don't want to or copy it because it's so easy to to look at it as like something. Oh, that's going to help me, but it's better to stay in a kind of a strict line of fundamentals, as you know, let's say a, a, a skier developing or technically training, and don't do adaptation into yourself. Um, it's, it's something that Miles will do and skiing high speed and aggressive, but you don't want to mimic those those things that uh, the top level skiers sometimes use yeah so on that again like putting you in this uh pretend role of like head of making moguls the new booming snow sport would you would you really be encouraging people to spend time doing drills because I don't think, I think a lot of people like taking say, Oh, they listen to this podcast and they get this concept of maybe this not soft tip thing. And so they just go and think about it instead of like going to the flats, getting out of the moguls and like say doing some, some like inside ski lifter drills or a javelin drill. And like, like how much do you think that is actually important in the process? Um, well, I think it, certain times of the year i mean all of us get out of you know obviously in australia it's a different time than north america or northern hemisphere but you get to ski area maybe you get some miles in the first four weeks and it's really boring and you don't have a lot of terrain open those are the times to really like make it interesting and maybe apply different different uh, training techniques just to keep it interesting for yourself and prepare you for when, you know, you don't want to slow down if it's a, you know, perfect day, middle of season, you don't want to be, you know, going with the groom, you want to be, you know, putting the fresh powder. And then as the day progresses and it starts turning the moguls, you already want to have kind of your, your foundation there and just enjoy the day. Cause that's, I think the goal of 
more skiers out there. Yeah, great not point. Making it great work. Point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a really good point. Uh, I would say skiing in Australia has taught me that because we get probably more days that are less than fantastic go and rip it up. So you just learn to find enjoyment and challenge in, in doing like drills and different tactical sort of trainings like that. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, throughout a season, there's always days that are less than, you know, I think North America is having an amazing start now. So I don't think there's many people doing drills. They're all skiing powder, but, but there'll be a time when maybe you get some melt freeze and, and that's a great time to, to make it interesting with, with drills and, and you'd you'd say though they it always pays off, doesn't it? Doing drills and exercises. Yeah, yeah I, it's yeah for sure. Um, yeah. What would be your experience. What would be your favorite drills then? Like, do you still do if you're like oh, I'm not maybe in the in the groove here? Are there any drills like your top two that you go? Okay, I know if I do these, I get the feeling back. Um. Or maybe were there, or maybe not now. Were there one that you know? I, I, it's not a drill necessarily, but it's kind of one. Let's say I'll come with a wider stance, and I'll do it with short turns, medium turns. Doesn't matter, but it's again right foot turn, just kind of clearing the knee, like moving that inside knee first and then driving the ski so that you kind of without you know when you use that inside knee and kind of just tilt it onto the edge and then it's just so much easier to make that initiation that's kind of been my go-to for the last 10 years but i'm you know i'm i haven't been doing mobile training for so long uh, <laughs> i but i still do those different concentration um things on the on the groom that I know it's it's gonna help me when I get to the mobiles. And using different stances in, in my groom scheme too, making sure I'm you know, just in a shoulder width, I go you know, shoulder, hip, tight stance, like with feet are glued. I play with it in the run. Yep. You know, top to bottom I'll change my stance many times. So yeah. It's it's yeah. And the other thing I would say, holding neutral. Um, again, it's not a drill. It's just something that I focus on. So making sure I maintain angles because I think I'm, a lot of people, they lose that neutral position and models you really need to make sure that that ankle bend and knee bends and has kind of a stopper to it. You don't extend beyond that point. So you constantly have kind of that pressure of the tongue of the boot kind of pressing onto the on the on the on the forefoot on the top of the on the top of the lower part of the boot. Yeah. Those angles that, are Yeah, that's probably uh, I um yeah I just on that so so the that that neutral position is not neutral as in like oh just chill out it actually takes work to hold the neutral position doesn't it? and and when you say people often lose it the first place they probably lose it is the ankle tension is gone correct and right. then and then things like then the hip maybe right like like the hip unbends and maybe kind of you just stand up a little too straight correct right yeah yeah 
And so with keeping that tension, it's more than just like resting on the front of the boots, isn't it? Like, do you want to, do you want to maybe just speak to the, the tension feeling that's more than just resting on the front of the boots? Yeah, well, it's, again, it's, it's not like a, let's say you come to a stoplight, stoplight is red or green, whatever, yellow, you know, it's, it's kind of not like on off, on off. It's something that, um, it's kind of like a dim light and then it gets harder and harder and it gets brighter and brighter. And then it's not like the lights off. It's just a constant adjusting of that pressure and making sure that it's never red or green or on and off. It's just a, you know, constant. I mean, That's a good analogy. Different parts, of, different parts of the turn. You really have to. You know, not turn the light off. To stay like those lights. <laughs> you know, last turn, 10 turns, I felt my shin of my boot. No, you have to go back and it's like at turn one through the whole phase and turn, which part did I feel like maybe lights off or maybe yeah. the next turn it was red because I was powerful and a lot of pressure on the shin of the boot in the shape middle of turn, but there's nothing at the end of the turn. I'm completely off. So you have to really pay attention to the whole turn to you know, understand that neutral position. And where it's delivering its its uh, pressure on on machine in the boot. Yeah, uh, uh, tell me if this makes sense. But it's almost like the, the the feeling would be in in that mogul athletic neutral stance. If if I could come down as a big giant and pick you up, picking you up in the air, you wouldn't unfold. You'd stay still, flexed up, right? Like whereas a lot of people, if someone picked them up they actually unfold. Exactly. You could be in, yes. okay, you could be in outer space, you could be in midair. The stance looks exactly the same as you are compressed on the top of yeah, of, of a piece of snow. Correct. Yeah, that that is a good analogy. Yeah. Okay. Getting into equipment again, what mm-hmm. what could I do and what could other people do with boots? And think about boot choices. What makes moguls easier when you're choosing boots? Um, well, it, it's uh, when we we work with a lot of um, let's say different kind of flex flexions of boot. You have different tongues that you can use, especially in the full tilt. But, you know, I would say in general, you, you, you want a boot that it's doesn't collapse. Like you don't feel like the, the ankle angle is just, you know, kind of folding in to, to no tension. But as important, you don't want to rebound because a lot of, of, you know, stiff boots, you can't get any flex out of the board. And then if you do put a lot of pressure takes a lot of a body weight let's say your you know upper body into the position to get that that flex and the rebound is much sharper you, you want to find a boot that doesn't have kind of that strong rebound and it allows you to kind of get um, let's let's say uh, a flex into the into the, uh, the, the top of the foot 
without collapsing. So yeah, that's, I think, you know, that soft, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I was just saying that makes now total sense with the problem of you're absorbed, don't extend too quick. If you have a boot that springs you back, it's going to be harder. It's probably going to pop you out whether you like it or not. Um, you know, I, I think it goes to the skier itself, um, how powerful they are, the weight of the skier. Um, and, you know, if, if you really get special about it, you might want to change kind of where you're, you're adjusting the cuff of the boot, you know, how, how much forward uh, angle or using wedges behind uh, the liner into the boot. Like how, how much are you forcefully pushing in? And I think that's so personal. Um, mm. If I went into that, I think it would get too technical. <laughs> but people can play with those different things. Yeah. So it's not a matter of like a blanket rule. Hey, more forward lean will make you ski moguls better. Like, like, and can you speak even from experience? You know, of there's quite a varying degree of angles in the top like ten athletes in on the World Cup. Was that would that be fair? For sure. Okay. Wow. Not all of them have super steep forward lean. Some of them. Oh, can you give an example? Do you know who has more of an upright boot? Um, I can't say exactly, but you know, I, it's, it's one of those things that you'd really have to be coaching them to really get, get into it and see what, what their position is. Cause when you see these guys outside, they're, you know, the ski, the ski boots covered, the cuff is definitely covered by the ski fan. So you really can't, but you get a feel that some people have more of an up. Position, I would say, in general, um, Scandinavians um, they seem to have a little bit more of an upright uh, cuff to the boot. Canadians pretty much have more of an angled. Japanese, I would say, they pretty go uh, off the shelf kind of (laughs) position on on their boots. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, say if you were speaking to the the higher end, like even say myself, and I'm like, right, Stephen, I just really want to get like way better. I want to ski. Like, I'm going to Deer Valley. I actually am going there, and I'm going to ski the the World Cup run. Like, how should I set up my boots better? Am I going to find it easier with a little more forward lean? Uh, sorry, uh, ramp angle. So, like inside the boot, the boot board having more forward lean, or again, it is personal yeah um i would i would stick to personal and and mm-hmm. if you get a an, an inner where you ramped up that could actually create difficulties because as your skis is causing flex and like you know you definitely don't want to be flat-footed you definitely want to have kind of those muscles in your feet moving on on the insole but you know if you get yourself into this tippy toe almost force position yeah force position i think it'll be uncomfortable if you're skiing with the tip of the ski the nose and ski correctly as it enters it's just going to kind of make you feel like you're eject you know ejecting forward um 
position. Cool. And, you know, again, that being flat, not being good too. You definitely want to be somewhere in that middle. Yeah. And I so would say probably... most keywords are the, off the shelf or in that middle. In that middle. Yeah. Okay. And you're probably going to, if you were experimenting at all with that, you, you would feel it in the sense what you said, if, if you're up to playing with that nose of the ski, if you were experimenting with a ramp angle, you'd feel, feel how that would affect the, um, that interaction. Okay, cool. Do you think that shorter poles make a difference? Do you think that if, if everyone's going to go out mobile skiing, they should try and ski with shorter poles or is that not totally necessary? No, not, no, that, that's very uh, specific to kind of event competitors. I would, I would, uh, I use myself, I use kind of the adjustable, you know, I have a pole that can go from 100 to 120. And, you know, it's, there's so many light, well-ended, different length poles. And when I'm free skiing in different parts of the moon, I like to change the length of my pole. Um, if I'm in a really, let's say, specific mold course, I, I still stick to not, not a competitor length, but more a comfortable length. For me, and I'm, you know, 173 centimeters, and I'll, I'll stick to probably at 105, 107. 105, 107. Mobile skiers, they a lot of yeah, my height, but a lot of mobile skiers, they're pretty, pretty short poles. They're like a so hundred. Something that you do, <laughs> yeah, like one hundred, yeah. someone ninety-eight. Wow! But that's yeah. for me. That's that's more of a, a aesthetic kind of tool with judges than let's say something that technically helps them. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, I, I, we're we're running out of time here. I just had a, a couple more questions. The one sure. uh, I wanted wanted to ask you about is. The modern mogul field now compared to back when everyone had straight skis, and I would say people that come from that era would say it was more round moguls were formed. Now with wider skis, people can't get edge to edge. The turns kind of extended. You're seeing more of these like long upside down canoe shaped moguls where it's like you're on a mogul and then it's like three meters, seven feet or something before you are finding the next bump instead of half that length. Are there some things people could think about or work on technically, tactically as well to make that more enjoyable? Yeah. Um, I'll just go back to Hintertouch. I mean, we were doing some that trade on the screen. And it was shaped by public and alpine and skiing together. Um, I, I say, Learn how to go through different snow points or snow conditions. So you, a lot of times people try to, let's say, follow the canoe the whole way and the, the line changes, they just stick in that line. And you, you kind of want to choose your line and you want to go after, let's say, those powder pockets, that kind of soft section of snow. You want to go after um, kind of like cross rut where you're, not going with the rut, but you're actually crossing into it. And you, you can, it's more about reading your line 
and then continuing to read forward because a lot of times people decide their mind and they'll, they'll leave, but they just kind of get stuck in that immediate, you know, well, well I had this 10 meter section planned out, but then they get to that 10 meter and they're like, oh, look up and then everything goes white and they have no idea what to do. So you have to kind of make your plan for, let's say that 10, 12, 15 meter. Uh, and then as you start skiing, you just, like we just talked about pressure, you can't just be uh, passive. You have to renew your vision, renew your line every couple of meters. Renew look further and see where I do to yeah, see where you, your new line is going to be. You know, so uh, as you come over, let's say a pitch where you can't see the models behind, you know, don't wait until you get to that pitch point, then decide your line. As you get closer, you're going to be able to start seeing two more moguls, three more moguls, et cetera, et cetera. So make that mine and, and use all parts of the mogul. Um, and before the prog- uh, we started taping, we were talking more you know, about it's not one term per mogul, especially in, in uh, natural moguls. You, you definitely want to learn how to, let's say, keep the tension. You get to, let's say, a top on the backside of a mogul. And then you have the ability to, you know, maybe do a transition on the backside and maybe do an extra turn or an extra two turns and re-enter. Another uh, good training point is kind of that reverse trough. So like I said, cross trough, you know, trying to go to the, to the, the corner opposite way and when you see moguls go to those corners and the opposite points and that gives uh, a lot of good experience so you feel more confident so you're not just always stuck in that on a carbon copy one turn the whole way yeah and, and that because that's what happens i think a lot of people if they don't know much about moguls in line they think well everyone else has gone here and then that's why that canoe upside down canoes formed so the first thing would be like, actually, you don't have to follow that. You can turn back on top of the canoe, kind of go down a little bit, come back on top of it again, like yeah. several times, and then look f- and look for another one to to cross. Yeah, like cross rut, kind of hit the mogul. So, yeah, it's it's not intuitive, is it? But actually, it will feel often. You're on better snow, and it and it can lead if you if you have the athletic position right. It's easier. I, I just maybe to make it easy to understand when I ski in a mogul course, I'll follow the line people are skiing 98% of the time. When I'm skiing natural moguls, public moguls, natural moguls, I probably follow the line that's in front of me 20%, 25% of the time. Cool. It's, you know, now, of course, you go to Japan, they have the ski instructors and they'll make kind of that long line. And even there, um, as we talked earlier in the broadcast, we're not, we're taking different points, you know, the high line, middle line, lower line. And, you know, you just don't, we don't want to get stuck into one very, very tight turn. You want to have as, as many variations as you can. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. There was this guy I saw, a Japanese bump skier, and uh, Ryu, I can't remember his last name, but he he was doing, in like a rut line, he was doing one, two, three turns 
in each like 15 times in a row. I, I had to record it slow. Do you know, you've seen it? Yeah, Yuji which yeah, I saw it. Yeah, like that. How how would I get to that point of turning that fast with your feet? Do you just like do you just keep practicing? Like I would love to do that. Well, that, that was a parody almost. He was joking. He was doing it for kind of a, you know. Yeah, just for an Instagram. Yeah, the only thing, you, yeah. yeah. Um, but for him, what was amazing about that was just keeping that neutral. And it was all, you know, knowing when to let the absorption finish and then just being super fast on kind of, you know, he ended up blending a lot of those transitions with, you know, he's just, it's, it's definitely back to that cylinder, making sure that the foot alignment, hip alignment, shoulder alignment, he, he's just perfectly balanced that whole way. Yeah. It's cool. It was very cool. It was very cool. Cool. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate your insights and i hope it is yeah encourage some people that maybe don't ski moguls much to maybe get out there and realize there's some things that just things they're missing like maybe in the choice of ski what they're doing with their boots that how they're tactically approaching it that would make moguls a lot of fun because that like you know the people that like like most it is it is fun i'd rather almost ski moguls powder is probably the only other thing i'd prefer but i i i love skiing a good bump field yeah, and, and for me, I, I I want to be the first one down that 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 fresh snow uh, in the morning. But there's so much uh, good skiing to be done that late afternoon, or let's say it hasn't snowed for three days, and then you start getting that mix of powder and, and mogul, and that's where I think people can really enjoy kind of the mogul is just increasing their their time in, in the good snow, you know, not on the, the groomers. Totally. powder to be found late, late in the day or, you know, a few days later. Yeah. It's not as clean. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yep. Excellent. But yeah, thanks so much again. And I hope people got a lot out of that. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. 
Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.